would you pray with me as we get started? Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are working and doing good things, great things, kingdom things. And so God, I pray that in the next few moments, as we turn our attention to your word, that your Holy Spirit will come, will speak to us, will encourage us, and draw us closer to you today. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. We're in this message series called, Who is God? And each week we're looking at a a name for God or a characteristic of God. And today we're gonna be talking about how God uses disruptions in our lives. And so think about a time that you might have felt disrupted. Um, Maybe you were just going throughout your day, doing your thing, and something interrupted you or surprised you. How did it feel when you were just disrupted? Well, a number of weeks ago, the professional sports world was disrupted. And even if you're not a sports fan or if you don't follow sports, it's possible that you've heard about an NFL player named DeMar Hamlin. On a Monday night NFL game, uh, DeMar made a standard tackle, a, a typical football play. But when he stood up after the play, he immediately collapsed to the ground because of cardiac arrest. It was so shocking, so disruptive. And the trainers and the medical staff rushed to his side and there was no pulse. He was unresponsive. And they performed CPR repeatedly trying to resuscitate him. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of fans are watching this happen right in front of them. It was so disruptive. The the, the teams were in the locker rooms distraught. Um, when, When they resuscitated DeMar, they took him by ambulance to the hospital. And DeMar's coach even said, I shouldn't be coaching this game right now. I need to be at the hospital. It just disrupted everything. And for the the coming days and and that week, as DeMar was fighting for his life, the sports world was disrupted. Um, People were calling for prayer and support. DeMar's charity raised millions of dollars in like 48 hours. There were TV personalities praying to God live on air while this was going on. It was so disruptive. And one of DeMar's um, teammates, Josh Allen, even commented about the spiritual disruption. In an interview, he said, it was a spiritual awakening for me and for a lot of other people who didn't have the strongest belief or are not the strongest Christian followers. Well, after being in the ICU for four days, uh, they removed DeMar's breathing tube and he started breathing on his own and his brain function was intact. And today, as we're speaking today, DeMar is out of the hospital, he's home, and he's on his way to a full recovery. It was a powerful miracle that God preserved and saved his life. Now, you and I may not have experienced a disruption on that scale, on that level, but how have you experienced a disruption in your life? It's interrupted you, changed you, disrupted you. When we all share a common disruption in the last few years, the COVID pandemic has disrupted life for all of us. Life's not going to be the same uh, as it was pre-pandemic in many ways. For some, it's it's the disruption of a, a scary diagnosis. And I have a family member, a close family member, a number of years ago that was diagnosed with cancer. And this person is relatively young and in good health. It was just a disruption. I was traveling uh, when when I got the phone call, and it just disrupted everything. And thankfully, there was uh, surgery that helped remove that cancer. Some of us have the disruption of of, uh, losing a loved one, tragically or suddenly. The disruption of losing a job. The disruption of uh, changing schools or moving to a new city or an unplanned pregnancy. A breakup, a divorce. And I don't know what you've been through in your life, but all of us 
have experienced some kind of disruption, something that surprised us, something that we weren't expecting, something we couldn't anticipate. And so the big idea today, the main point of this message is that God uses disruption to get your attention. God uses disruption to get your attention. Now, there are some disruptions that God causes, that his hand causes the disruption. And in a moment, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible where God causes the disruption. But many times, God does not cause the disruptions. I'm not saying that God causes pain and suffering. My, my family member who was diagnosed with cancer, I don't believe God gave them cancer. That's not what God does. But we do experience suffering. We do experience loss. And I just want to say some truth today, especially if you're in my age range, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, if you're a teenager, you got to know that you will suffer in this life. Suffering, pain, loss, challenges, they come in this life. It doesn't mean that God's punishing you. It doesn't mean God is trying to teach you a lesson. It's a part of life. But even in the uncomfortable and difficult things that disrupt our lives, God uses disruption. Notice that the big idea says God uses disruption. It doesn't say God causes disruption. God uses disruption to get your attention. And so we're going to look in the Bible at Exodus chapter 3. And in this text, we're going to meet Moses when he's in the middle of his life. Moses has not yet become the great leader, the powerful one to, to lead Israel. At this point in Moses' life, he is in the wilderness taking care of sheep. The people of Israel are in Egypt in slavery, and Moses is hundreds of miles away working on the family farm. But one day, God disrupts his life. And there's a difference between disruption and an interruption. Because an interruption, it interrupts you, and then eventually you'll go back to doing what you were doing before. You get interrupted, you pause, take a break, but then you get back to where you were before. But a disruption changes you. A disruption is transformative. And so one day, God disrupts Moses. So let's begin reading here in Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Moses led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was not consumed. And that's likely that Moses has walked down this path many times before. It's possible that he's led the sheep down this trail before. But on this day, God dis disrupts him and gets his attention. He sees this bush that's on fire, and the fire's not burning the bush. It's this big disruption. There, there was one day that a fire uh, out of control got my attention. It was a hot summer day, and I had just parked my car at a shopping center. And I was walking through the parking lot. Uh, a friend was also with me. And there was this like median, um, like, like with mulch and bushes and flowers and, and landscaping. And I saw smoke coming out of the landscaping. And then quickly flames appeared on the ground. And I thought maybe somebody tossed a cigarette butt or, or some litter that had just started this fire. But what I found out later is that that was not the case. That day was so hot and the sun was so intense, the power of the sun activated the chemicals that are inside this mulch and heated it up and it started smoking and produced flames. Now my friend who was with me, he was the wise one and he called 911 to get the fire department. But I wasn't gonna wait for the professionals because I had a, a little water bottle with me. And so I started playing firefighter with this wildfire. And then some of the employees from a restaurant nearby came out with pitchers of water like the bucket brigade. And eventually 
the fire department showed up and, and they had sand and a hose and, and they, they took care of the fire. When Moses saw this fire, he didn't call the fire department. He didn't try to put out the fire. He was curious. And take a look at verse 3. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Would you say the phrase, turn aside? I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. God got Moses' attention. He disrupted Moses and he got his attention and Moses turned aside. When you experience a disruption, God may be calling out to you in the middle of the disruption. In the chaos, in the confusion, in the disappointment, God may be speaking to you in the disruption. How many times has God tried to get your attention? Have you experienced the disruption that seemed irritating, frustrating, confusing, annoying? But what if it's God trying to get your attention and to disrupt your life? Because when God gets your attention, it's time to turn aside. When God gets your attention, turn aside to see what God is doing in the disruption. Turn aside to see where God is moving and where he's active. Now, when I say turn aside, I'm not promising that God's going to fix your problem. I'm not promising that God's going to remove you from a difficult situation. But when you turn aside in the disruption, you're going to draw closer to God. Just like Moses, he turned aside and he moved closer to God. You're going to have more of God's presence. You're going to experience more of his grace. Turning aside may be spending more time praying to him, listening to him, worshiping him. Turn aside and see what God is doing. And so Moses turns aside when God disrupts him, and then God speaks in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And then look at what God says in verse 10. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So when God disrupts Moses, Moses turns aside. Now God has an assignment for Moses. He's going to lead the people out of Egypt into freedom. Sometimes in the disruption, there's an assignment for you. God has an assignment for you, an opportunity to obey him, an opportunity to follow him. And very often, when there's an assignment, it's not convenient. The disruption is not always going to be comfortable. And when Moses gets this assignment, his first response is, what? Me? Why me? I don't want to do this. Because disruption and the assignment in disruption is not always convenient. There's one day that I was disrupted when Lauren and I were traveling uh, out of town and we stopped at a grocery store to pick up some things that we would need for our week away. And while we were um, in the grocery store, um, a mother and her teenage daughter um, disrupted me and they approached me and they asked for my help. This mother explained that uh, she was, had five kids and she was driving across the country to California because she had just lost her job and she had nowhere else to go but there was family there and she was quickly running out of money. And so she asked if we would pay for her groceries. It was a total disruption. I felt extremely awkward, very uncomfortable. And I gotta tell you, you wanna know what my first thought was? My first thought was, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of this situation? That was my first thought. 
And then my second thought, I think, was from God's Spirit. My second thought was a reminder of something I learned long ago, and that is the most important person is the person right in front of you. So what if God was putting this person in front of me so that I could show more of his love? What if God was disrupting my day, disrupting my plans so that I could obey him, so that I could show more of his grace and love? Because a disruption is not always convenient. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's difficult. And so we, uh, we rang up the groceries. I paid for the groceries. And before this mom left, I just simply said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus loves you, and he loves your family. And she said, thank you, and, and they went on their way. When God disrupts your life, it's to get your attention, and often there's an assignment, but it's not always convenient. And so when Moses gets this interruption, and then Moses hears this assignment, he's got a lot of questions. His first thought, like my first thought, was how do I get out of this situation? And here's what Moses says to God in verse 13. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is asking God, Who are you? What is your name? What do we call you? And, and this is significant because in the history of the Israelite people, up until this point, the one true God was only associated with story. They knew who God was because of their forefathers, the generations before them. They knew God was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And, and the, the Israelite people only had, up until now, only had titles for God. Like right here in this text, if we look at verse 13, Moses says, The God of your fathers... So this word God in Hebrew is a Hebrew word called Elohim. And this Hebrew word Elohim simply means creator. It's a title, the creator. And the Israelites had all of these titles, almighty, most high, all-powerful, creator. That's how they knew God. But here, Moses is asking, what do we call you? What is your name? You may have seen Recently, there's a marketing uh, campaign to spread the message of Jesus. It's a campaign called He Gets Us. And it's, uh, it's ads and commercials on TV, sporting events, social media, spreading the message of Jesus. And it's, it's a great campaign, powerful campaign. And if someone goes to the He Gets Us website, they immediately hear about the gospel of Jesus. Uh, they can get connected to following him, get connected to a local church. It's a really awesome campaign. And I was speaking recently with someone who's a part of this project, and they told me that the campaign is, is trying to raise $1 billion to spread the message of Jesus. That's billion with a B, $1 billion. And my friend told me that one family has already committed half of that, $500 million from one donor, from one family. Well, of course, I had to ask, what's their name? Who is it? What's the name of this donor? Well, the person I was speaking to said that the family wants to remain anonymous, that they don't want their name published, totally, completely anonymous. But if you think about Christian families with that kind of wealth or those, that kind of resources, the list gets pretty small pretty quick. So I've got an idea of who I think it might be, but, but I'll never know 100% because they want to be anonymous. When Moses asks God, what's your name? God does not stay anonymous. Look at what God says here in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. So first, when Moses asks, what's your name? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And that sounds a lot like when you get a phone call from a number you don't like recognize and you say hello, and the person on the other end says, hey, it's me, but you still don't know who it is. God's saying, I am who I am. It's me. It's who I am. Now, this passage is extremely significant. And in our English translation doesn't fully capture the richness of what's happening in this passage. Because Exodus 3, verse 14, is one of the most studied, most analyzed passages in the book of Exodus, if not the entire Old Testament. So much research, so much has been done here. And, and so I want to share a little bit about what God is doing in these statements. And to do that, I want to share a little bit of the Hebrew context, the original language that, that this was written in. So when God says to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am, that's a Hebrew word, ayah, I am. And this Hebrew word, ayah, is first person. Now, only God can use the first person, I am. Moses is going to look really foolish if he shows up in front of the people and says, hey, I am has sent me to you. It's just not, it's not right grammar. So that's why in verse 15, God says to Moses, tell them the Lord has sent you. Now, this word Lord in Hebrew is the word Yahweh. And so whenever you're reading the scriptures and you come across Lord in all capital letters, it's a sign that is probably translating this word Yahweh. And Yahweh is the third person. He will be who he will be. Now, both of these words, Eyeh and Yahweh, come from the same root word. It's the root word Hava. And this word Hava means to be. So both of these come from the same. One's first person, one's third person. When God says, my name is Yahweh, he's giving us his personal name. He's giving Moses his personal name. He will be who he will be. And it's interesting that while I was preparing this message and doing some research, an article came up on my newsfeed just this week about some archaeologists last year who were in Israel and discovered what they believe to be the oldest artifact with the name Yahweh inscribed on it. It's this small two-centimeter by two-centimeter uh, artifact that might have been a piece of jewelry or a necklace or a bracelet, and on it is inscribed in Hebrew the name Yahweh. And this next picture is, is, is the characters of the name Yahweh in Hebrew. Yahweh means he will be who he will be. This is significant because scholars agree that this moment when Moses is disrupted at the burning bush and God says, I am who I am, this is the very first time in history that God doesn't use titles but says, here's my name. This is my personal name, Yahweh. And this is significant because all of the Israelites had known God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, or, or the God who created, the Almighty One, the Powerful One. Now God is saying, I'm your God. I'm Abraham's God, I'm Isaac's God, but I am your God. And he's saying, I am with my people. I've come to disrupt my people, disrupt history to transform my people. When he says, I am who I am, God is saying, I'm the same God that was with Abraham. I'm the same God that's with you. I do not change, but I'm going to change your situation. 
God says to Moses in verse 7, The Lord, Yahweh, said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Yahweh is saying, I am with my people. I'm not a detached God, I'm not a distant God, I'm not a far away God, I am with my people and I do not change. But I've come to change your situation. I see my people, I know my people, I hear my people, I'm gonna transform my people. So when God gets your attention, it's an invitation to transformation. Remember, a disruption is not an interruption. A disruption changes and transforms you. When God disrupts you, he's inviting you into transformation. The Israelites, the people of God, for 400 years had been in slavery, in bondage, brutally oppressed. But now Yahweh is saying, I'm coming to disrupt your situation to bring a transformation. He's disrupting history. And this is not the only time that Yahweh disrupts history to bring transformation. This is the same God who met Moses is the same God who sent his son Jesus to bring transformation. Jesus came to transform your life. Jesus coming to earth was the greatest disruption in all of history. And Jesus came and he disrupted society, he disrupted culture, he disrupted religion and power. And everybody paid attention to Jesus. And one day, the Jewish religious leaders confronted Jesus. Because they were concerned that Jesus was doing things only Yahweh can do. Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. And and these religious leaders saw Jesus doing what only Yahweh can do. And so they said, hey, time out. You got our attention, but but who are you? Why are you doing things that Yahweh does? And we read in John 8, 53, they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, they say, Who do you think you are doing all this stuff? What do you think Jesus says? How does Jesus respond? We read in verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why did they want to stone him? Because Jesus just said, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. The same God that appeared to Moses at the burning bush, that's Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm Yahweh and I'm come to do a transformation. I'm disrupting history, I'm disrupting your life to transform your life. That's what Yahweh does. And so if we go back to Moses, Moses meets God, he's been disrupted, he's got his attention, he's turned aside. But for the rest of the story in Exodus 3 and chapter 4, Moses argues with God. He resists the transformation because Moses says, I am not good enough. Moses keeps saying, I'm not smart enough. I am not worthy enough. I am not a good leader. I'm not a good speaker. And every time that Moses says, I am not, Yahweh says, but I am. When Moses says, I am not, Yahweh says, I am. Yahweh disrupts Moses' life to get into Moses' life and do a transformation. And God transforms this insecure, uh, uh, cowardice uh, shepherd into a great leader. Transforms this man with self-doubts and insecurities and makes him the one who confronts Pharaoh, leads the people out, leads them through the Red Sea, receives the Ten Commandments. He transforms him. But I know how Moses was feeling 
when he was feeling all that insecurity, and he kept saying, I am not. Because one of my deep insecurities is thinking that I am not good enough and that I need to prove that I am good enough. How does this show up in my life? In my life, I look up to people who are older than me, especially leaders and people who have influence in my life, mentors, bosses, whomever, and and I want their admiration. I want their affirmation. And so I will over-function. I'll overextend to to prove myself worthy of that affirmation, to validate myself. And this also creates a fear of letting people down. I don't want to disappoint people. Also a fear if someone disagrees with me or if they don't like me, then then that, that means that I'm not good enough. And so I'll compete for attention or affirmation. And what this insecurity really does is it drives me to be perfect. But none of us is perfect. I can't be perfect, but because I believe I am not good enough and I should be perfect, then I tell myself I need to appear perfect. And so that leads to hiding insecurity, covering up mistakes, lying about failures or weaknesses, because I need to appear to be perfect, because I think I am not good enough. But I've encountered Yahweh, the one who says I am who I am. When I think I am not, Yahweh says, I am, and he transforms me. And so when you feel like you're insecure, when you feel like you're not good enough, remember Yahweh is transforming your life. When you think, I am not strong enough to beat this addiction, Yahweh says, I am. When you think, I am not smart enough to finish school or get that degree, Yahweh says, I am. When you think, I'm not earning enough, I'm not producing enough, I am not doing enough, Yahweh says, I am. When you think, I am not enough, Yahweh says, I am enough for you. And God transforms your life. He loves you, and he wants to do a transformation, just like he transformed Moses. When God gets your attention, it's an invitation to transformation. That's the whole reason Jesus disrupted history because he did something we cannot do. I am not able to fix my problem with sin. We cannot save ourselves. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he solved our eternal problem so that we can have relationship with God, with Yahweh. And Jesus is still transforming lives today. There was one day that that I experienced a major disruption. It was a Tuesday morning. Uh, I was in a meeting with some other church staff and a woman from the church disrupted the meeting, came in to tell us about how God had transformed her life. This woman had been suffering from painful arthritis uh, in her knees, in her joints, and it made it so painful that it was difficult to walk some days. Uh, She could no longer drive herself because of the pain, and often her son would actually have to carry her up and down the stairs in their home. It was so painful. And because she couldn't drive, that means that she couldn't come to church for worship. And so she would, was at home, and she would worship online, streaming, watching online. And there was one Sunday morning while she was worshiping and streaming online that there was an invitation to receive prayer for healing, specifically for those who were struggling with pain in their knees, in their ankles, and in their legs. So as this woman is watching in faith, she joins those of us who are streaming in prayer, and she puts her hands on her legs, and she prays with us, and God heals her pain. She stands up and she took a couple of steps, no pain. Then she climbed the stairs in her house, no pain. And then two days later, she got into her vehicle and drove to the church and disrupted our Tuesday morning meeting to say, look at what Jesus, look at what Yahweh has done for me. 
Jesus is still transforming lives. That's the power of Yahweh. He disrupts your life. He gets your attention because he wants to do a transformation. Yahweh told Moses, I am who I am. And he said, I am with my people. Remember, he said, I see my people. I hear my people. I know my people. I deliver my people. I transform my people. That's what Yahweh does. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus sees you. He sees your situation. He sees your affliction. He, he sees what you're going through. He, he sees the single parent. He sees the one in the doctor's office. He sees the one who's getting that treatment every week. He sees you. And he hears you. Jesus hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears the desires, the longing of your heart. He hear, hears the crying and the weeping in the night. Jesus knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's going on between your ears. He knows the, the self-doubt, the self-loathing. He knows the fear, the things that keeps you up at night. He knows the worries. He knows you. And Jesus delivers you. Jesus delivers you. He delivers you from sin. He delivers you from addiction, from bondage. He delivers you from brokenness and oppression. And Jesus transforms you. Your future is changed. Your future is eternal. You have an eternal hope in heaven because of Jesus. And Jesus is still the same God that met Moses. He's the same God that is disrupting and transforming our lives today. I don't know where you may be at in your spiritual journey, but I can tell you what Jesus has done for me. I can tell you that Yahweh, the one who says I am who I am, has disrupted my life and transformed my life. When I was a broken, angry teenager, Jesus disrupted me. He met me. It was a weekday afternoon, and I was a crumpled up mess in my, on my bedroom floor, just tears coming down because I was so overwhelmed with shame. I had addiction issues. I had lied, deceived. I was being fake. And I had all this bitterness and all this hurt inside of me, and I was just so overwhelmed with the pressure, with the shame and the guilt and the regret I was, at, I was at rock bottom, and I cried out to Jesus, to Yahweh. And I didn't pray a fancy prayer. I didn't even quote any scripture. I simply said, Jesus, take control. And Yahweh met me there, just like he met Moses at that burning bush. The God who says, I am who I am, met me in my mess, and he's transformed me. Throughout my life, I've experienced disappointment. I've experienced struggles, I've suffered, I've had heartbreak, I've had tragedy, I've had disappointments and, and challenges all along my whole life. But through it all, Yahweh has never changed. He is who he is, and he's always been with me. When I think I am not good enough, Yahweh reminds me, I am. When I think I am unable to keep going, Yahweh says, I am. When I think that, that, that I don't have what it takes, when I think I am not able Yahweh says, I am. And so today, I think there's an invitation for us to this message. That Yahweh, who met Moses, wants to meet us here today. So I want to invite you to a moment of response. You're welcome to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I believe that there are two responses to this message today. And the first response is for those of us here who have been following Jesus for a long time, maybe many, many years. In this response, would you reflect and think back to that moment Jesus disrupted your life? That moment that might have been like a burning bush for you. 
Or maybe it was a, a series of little small moments, but think back to that time, that moment. How did he disrupt you? How did he get your attention? Just take a moment. How has he forgiven you? How has he loved you? What was that moment like when you cried out to him in desperation? And I feel strongly that God, Yahweh, wants to say to you, the God who met you that long ago, those many years ago, he's the same God today. And he's been walking with you all these years. He says, I am who I am and I do not change. And so he is with you. When, when, when you walk into that job that is just eating away at you, he is with you. When, when you see that the bank account has insufficient funds, he is with you. When that loved one or significant other just cuts you off, wants nothing to do with you, he is with you. I think God just wants to remind some people that the person you met when you were a teenager, the person, the God that you met when you were in college, that, that God that transformed your life, encountered you, he's the same God and he's, he's always going to walk with you. That's the first invitation. The second invitation today is for any of us here who are not living in relationship with God right now. But maybe right now God is disrupting your life today. He's getting your attention right now. And it might not be that this burning bush on fire, but it might be a whisper in your heart. It might be a prompting in your heart. He may be drawing you, touching your feelings in your mind right now. Do not ignore what his spirit might be doing right now. He wants to get your attention. And so today, if you are living far from God, if you are not in relationship with him, if you are living in rebellion, if you've been trying to avoid him, but you want to turn your life over to God, I want to encourage you and invite you to just pray this simple prayer after me. Just simply say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead to save me. Today I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. And I want to pray for all of us. God, I pray that for every single one of us, that you will remind us that you are who you are, that you do not change, that you are with us. God, I pray for more peace for the one who is feeling anxious and worried. God, courage for the one who is feeling scared and afraid. God, I pray for that marriage that is, that is struggling, that your power, your grace will intervene and step in and bring healing and bring hope. And most of all, God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.